Okay, good evening. We're continuing the Talmud series. If you remember, before Shavuot, two weeks ago, we finished Masechet Gitin. And we're starting now Masechet Kiddushin. The last thing we spoke about, about a few different kind of people. When a fly falls into the glass, one person takes the, the, the fly out and doesn't drink. One person takes the fly out but continues to drink. One person just <laughs> suck even the, the little bit that you have on the fly. There's different kind of people. Of course, this is all uh, analogies. Meshalim. And uh, we con- we, we're now just starting Masechet Kiddushin. And Bezrat Hashem, Masechet Kiddushin also have some interesting subjects to talk about. Uh, the Gemara says like this. Tanya, Rabbi Shimon says, Mipne ma'amra Torah ki ikach ish isha. When the Torah wants to describe marriage, the Torah says, when a man takes a woman. Why the Torah didn't say, when a man and a woman meeting, or when a woman takes a man to be her husband? Everything in the Torah has a meaning. It's not coincidence. One time it's like this, one time it's like this. But the reason is, because the way of the world, the way Hashem made the, world, the nature, the world is that a man is after a woman and not a woman after a man. The modesty requires that the man will be the one who inquire about the woman and he's the one who will go after her, ask somebody to talk to her for him. But it's not modest for a girl to go after a guy and ask him to marry her or if he can date her. Well, I know what you're thinking. Today the world is already corrupted. It's a different world today. Everything is mixed up, but we, we are now going to talk according to the truth. This is what the Gemara says, and that's it. We continue. It's not the way of a, of a woman to run after a man in order for, for him to be with her. The Gemara says like this. Tanura Banan. Kitov lo imach. As a pasuk, speaking about slavery. People used to own slaves. Goy slave, Jewish slave. When the Goy slave becomes a slave, automatically he converts. So he's Evet Knani, he converts, he becomes like a Jewish woman. That's his obligations. Uh, but we have also Evet Ivri that stays for six years, and the seventh year you send him free. It's different rules between a Jewish slave and a non Jewish slave. So the Torah says like this. Kitov lo imach, who is the other talk, Torah talks about, about the slave. When it's good to him with you, you the master, and he's the slave. Bemachal imach, bemishte, shelo te'a ta ochel pal nekiah, vu ochel pat kavar. What's the requirements? <coughs> the Torah says like this. You want to own a slave? The slave have rights. Which slave are we talking here about? Eved Ivri now. You sleep in a good bed, you have to make sure he has a good bed. You eat good food, you, he eats the same food. You don't eat good food, you eat fresh bread and you give him stale bread. You eat fresh, you give him if, uh, fresh. You eat stale, fine, you also eat stale. But you don't make you separate than him, even though he's your slave. This is already the rights of the slaves in the Torah. You drink nice old wine. The older the wine is, the more expensive it is. He's, he drinks also the same wine. Don't give him brand new 2009. 
you drink uh, 1980, make sure he drinks from you 1980. Right away, it's a big burden to own a slave. It's like another key to raise. Yeah, but obviously he works for you. We'll see. You don't have to pay him a salary. That comes instead of a salary, right? Then, the Gemara says like this. Because of that, because you have to supply him with all his needs, the Gemara says like this. If you really think about it, if you agreed to buy a Jewish slave, you didn't buy a slave, you bought yourself a master. The master, he became your boss, because the fact that you have to supply him with so many things, it's like today, we have children, they control our life. Come pick me up here, take me up over there, drive me to yeshiva, send me money, you know... You, right away you realize who's the boss of who you become the boss of your children same thing over here the Torah says what happened if the slave wants to stay now he has such a great condition why does he want to go and now find a job he has a place he has his home he eats takes every day why should he want so he wants to stay a slave the Torah says, if he wants to stay a slave, you take his ear to the mezuzah and you make a sign, something in his ear. It's called rotzea, anything called. So, rotzea et osno, and, you, and from that on, he stay your slave for good. Why you have to do the ear? I'm sure you heard that before. The ear that didn't listen in Mount Sinai, you should not steal. Now you make him a sign because you didn't listen to the Torah. You became a slave. Why they become slave Jews? A guy, it's a job. Amigo wants a job. He comes to you, sir. I need trabajo. Mucho trabajo. Mucho dinero. No dinero. No trabajo. No dinero. So he said, Oh, you want to come work for me? What's your name? Nice to meet you, Jose. Okay, come tomorrow, 8 o'clock. You work from 8 to 8, 100 bucks. He's very happy. Doesn't feel someone takes advantage on him. You did a good favor for him. He kissed your hand. Gracias, senor. Gracias. Very good. Oh, people remember to show up. So he said, gracias, senor. And that's not, uh, not a slave. That's like a worker. But with the Jew, it's a different story. Because uh, why the Jew became a slave? Thank you. The Jew became a slave because he stole. When someone steals today, what do they do to him? When the Jew steal today, you call him, Moshe, yes, what about my money? Oof, you have the nerve to bother me? Don't call here anymore. When I have the money, I'll call you, don't worry. When? 500 years from now. <laughs> Usually, nobody returns. In the old days, you know, I always said, I can be stoned for saying it, but the truth is the truth, I don't care. The truth, sometimes it's dangerous to say it. I always say that if Hashem would give the Torah to this generation, probably half of it at least will be completely different. Why? Hashem gave the Torah to human beings, to people. Most people today are not human beings, they're worse than animals. The way they behave, the way they steal, the way they cheat, the way they lie, they cares, no integrity, no nothing. Look what happened in the world. I'm not saying who. There are good people, there are decent people, Jews and non-Jews. But there are so many corrupted people that all the laws of the Torah, the Torah has a lot of psychology in it. It's not correct to the, the, the kind of people we have. I'll give you an example. The Torah says, 
If a poor person comes to you and open up his hand, help me, help me, I need a loan. How much you need? $5,000. You rich man, give me $5,000. The Torah says you must give him. Don't be stingy. Open your hand. You know, because of that, I'm going to bless you in everything you do. Help the poor. Don't, don't tell him no or tight your hand. Be generous with him, the Torah says. Why? A poor man will return his loan. When he has the money, he'll return it. However, today, take a hundred poor people who come to take a loan. How many of them will return the loan? Most of them won't return. Most of them won't return. Ah, they won't return. Chazakah is different than what he used to be. The Gemara says, A person cannot come to you out of nowhere. You don't even know him. Hey, you, Yitzchak, yeah, how? you owe me a thousand dollars. I'm suing you in Beidin now. You come to Beidin, you honor Kvod Arav, you owe me a thousand dollars. Yes, you, lo- you borrowed money from me a month ago when we were there. You make up a whole story. I don't know you. No, you're a liar. You owe me a thousand. What person has the nerve to do such a thing? Yamara said, psychology people cannot do such thing. Today, <laughs> I met in my life so many crooks, how they lie to you and they don't even make a beep. Come without, with full confidence. Chazakah, certainty is different. The Gemara say, a Jewish female, there's no question, no man will ever touch her before the wedding. Chazakah, not Israel, they watch themselves. If the Torah would be given today, Hashem could write such a thing in the Torah? Unfortunately not. Everything changed. What the people used to be 3,000 years ago and what they are today, unfortunately, I tell you something interesting, a story. There's one rabbi, he was a melamed in Yeshiva Tel Aviv, many years ago, 30, 40 years ago. He was a melamed. He's teaching there, a rabbi. And Reuven is a rich man, and Shimon is a poor man, and he needs a loan from Reuven. So he comes to Reuven, please lend me X amount of money. Reuven said, listen, you, I know you don't have money. You're not going to have the money to return. I don't want to get myself involved. I can't do right now. I can't. By the way, there's a question in Halakha, if a person comes to you and you don't trust him to return, and, uh, and you're embarrassed to tell him, I don't trust you, or I know you're not going to pay me, or I know you're so poor you won't be able to pay back, that's why I'm not giving it to you. Because if you tell him the truth, you offend him. So the question is, are you allowed to tell him, I don't have? So the answer is yes, because it's a life for the sake of peace. You're allowed to tell him, I don't have, and to have in mind an extra word. I don't have for you. You don't tell him for you. You're just thinking, for you, I don't have. Not that I don't have. I have a lot. But for you, I don't have. You understand? Or, sometimes you can tell them, I'm, I have to do something with my money. I cannot use it for anything else. What? Tomorrow you buy stocks, you buy a business, whatever. One day you have to do. It's also not a lie. There's always a way out without really saying a lie. But just for us to understand that there's always a way out. So the answer is, so this, uh, this Rebbe, uh, was a, this, this Shimon who wants to take a loan from Reuven, He's a, a friend of this rabbi from Tel Aviv Yeshiva. And the rabbi said, maybe I'll talk to Reuven for you, he'll give you a loan. Maybe I do it. 
So he comes to Reuven. He says, Reuven, maybe you give him a loan. It's not a bad guy. It's not a crook. It's just a poor person that needs a loan. So Reuven said to him, Rabbi, listen, if you ask me to give him a loan, I'll give him a loan. Ah, me, myself, I wasn't interested to deal with someone, maybe payback, maybe not. But if you tell me to do it, I'll do it. So he said, okay. So Reuven, Shimon went back and he took the loan. When the time came to pay the loan, of course he didn't pay. So what did Reuven, the rich guy, did? He came to the rabbi. See, rabbi, you convinced me to give the loan to this guy, Shimon, and now he didn't pay me back. That's it. He doesn't have the money. I know you did not sign a guarantor, personal guarantee. You're not a co-signer. I'm not blaming you. But I just want you to know that thanks to your request, I lost this money. That's all. The rabbi felt very bad. <laughs> he went to Rav Steinman to ask him what should he do to be clean in heaven. Rav Steinman told him, listen, according to the Torah, you're not guilty. You didn't benefit from this loan. It wasn't nothing to do with you. You didn't sign a guarantee. You didn't say, if he doesn't pay, I pay. You're not committed to anything. I know it's feeling bad, but I tell you my advice. Why don't you trust Hashem and pay him the money? But do it in such a way that you give it in many, many payments, you don't even feel it. Whatever it was, let's say it was $20,000, give $200 a month. Every month, a little bit, you give him checks in advance, tell him here, this is 200 checks, whatever, 100 checks. Every month you drop a check. Say, that's it. And like this, it counts for you that you are busy every day with mitzvah, because you're paying daily now. Every, you're constantly paying. Hashem will help you. He said, okay, Rabbi, whatever you say. So he gave him many checks. And guess what happened? When the person, Reuven, cashed the last check, four hours later, this Rabbi passed away. What do you see from here? Hashem kept him extra few years in his life just to finish his mitzvah that he started with few years ago. That's why I always say, when you constantly giving tzedakah on a monthly basis, your, your life insurance is much better than buying life insurance somewhere else. <laughs> Over there, until they send the money to your wife, who knows. But over here, uh, it's, it's constant life insurance. Hashem wanted to take you away, but you are busy supporting someone. Or you're in a mitzvah that started, Hashem doesn't want to cut it in the middle for you. It's a, it's a whole process. You're paying the yeshiva's mortgage. You're supporting, uh, I don't know, every month CDs automatically. You made, uh, I don't know, 20 checks in advance you gave. As long as those checks are needed to be covered, that means Hashem needs you in the world. You're the one who committed to it. He keeps you around. This is always, remember, the best life insurance. The more people are dependent on you, the more people depend on your money, on your help, you bring them food every Shabbat, whatever you do, or you take care of the sick people, or you watch the, whatever, the more people depend on you, the less chance you have to die or to become ill. Why? Because not for you. You really deserve to, to leave the world. But Hashem say how many people are going to be hurt, so he has no choice. He has to keep you for another two, three, five years. Why is it? Because he doesn't want all these people to suffer. They don't deserve to suffer. Thanks to them, you get saved. Not thanks to your money. Thanks to them. They don't need to suffer 
Hashem keeps you around. This is an interesting concept. Okay, so we move on. So, the Torah says like this, why, from all the things in the body of a slave, Hashem has to, you have to take his ear to the mezuzah and pierce his ear. Why? Why the ear? So we said, why? Because the ear didn't hear, you should not steal. But I don't understand. The ear, the ears, okay, the ear didn't see, didn't hear, you should not steal. Right? The ear. But, there are many other things that the ear didn't hear. Not only this mitzvah. Many things. Why when you make a different scene, you don't take his ear and pierce it? Why only ear? Because this is the reason why he became a slave. Other scenes, you don't become a slave. Now, not only is a slave, he wants to extend his slavery. He's seven years, he's six years finished. He has to go free. He says, no, no, keep me here. I like to stay a slave. So Hashem said like this, in Mount Sinai, I say, the nation of Israel, I are my servant. You want to replace me with another master? That's why we take your ear. You didn't understand the point. I say, you are only, not only my children. I'm your father and I'm your master also at the same time. Avinu Malkenu. Right? That's what we say. Avinu, our father, our king. And... The Gemara continues, the Gemara says like this, Why the door and the mezuzah? Why by the door, by the entrance? Okay, you want to pierce his ear, we got the point, why the ear? But why by the door? Why not in a living room? Why not in the middle of town? Why doesn't have to be in this way? So the answer is, because when Hashem took the nation of Israel out of Mitzrayim, where did they have to put the blood? By the mezuzah. And this was the witness of the exodus of Egypt. And that's the moment that Hashem said, I'm taking you out of Egypt to be my servant. It's all connected. That's the moment that Hashem, that verse, Ki li Israel avadim. They are my servant. That's an honor. Some people think, wow, to be a, a servant of Hashem... If they only know what the privilege it is, they'll be dancing. What's better? To be a master of all the low lives or to be a servant of the king of the world? <laughs> a servant of the king of the world is closest to the highest people in the world. He's always in the top authorities. He enjoys what the king enjoys. The king eats good, he eats good. The king wants his servant to dress very good, no? He represents the king. The king sends him on all kinds of business deals. And yet, you can be a master of all the low homeless in the park. You have 30 homeless in the park, and you're the one who is in charge of them. I'm the boss. The boss of who? That's why they say in Hebrew, better to be the tail of the lion than the head of the fox. If you got the point. Why? You are attached to the lion already. doesn't matter. You're the tail. The tail is not important. You cut the tail of the lion, who cares? Still a good lion, no? It can still run and hunt. It can still be a guard in your mansion. But still, the tail, even though it's really not important, but it's attached to the lion, it's the lion. Then to be the head of the fox, it's not the same league. You know, uh, in, in Israel, there's a mental institution. It's a joke. So, they want, they, it was too crowded, so they want to release some of the mental patients. 
So they said, let's go and see who became normal that we can release him. So they come, they had lunch time. So in lunch time, after they eat, they take him out to the swimming pool. But you know, it was not the summer time yet, so the pool is empty, no water. So they see all the crazy people are jumping into the pool. They're all bleeding, broken bones. <laughs> and they see a guy standing, sitting there in a big chair, and he's the only one who doesn't jump in. So they say, oh, at least one normal guy we can release today. The only one who doesn't jump is not wounded. Look, he's okay. So they come to him, sir, we're about to release you, but we have one question before. Tell us, why you don't jump like all your friends to the pool? He said, no, I'm the lifeguard. <laughs> <laughs> you got it? That's the worst one out of everyone. He's whistling, you, be careful. It's, it's too deep over there. <laughs> you know? Anyway, so we move on. The Gemara says like this. Now we're going to speak about Kibud Avahem, respecting your father and mother. One of the mitzvot that it's impossible to keep 100%. Why? It's a, first of all, it's a mitzvah that continue for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. As long as your parents are alive, since you bar mitzvah, they can be 80, you are 60, which means you are already 50 years, 47 years, this mitzvah is never finished. It's a mitzvah that doesn't have a minute of break. You always have to do it. And most people that want to respect the parents, like non-religious Jews or Goim, they really try. They have no idea how to do it. The requirements of the Torah are so strict that when you read it, you say probably nobody, nobody is able to... Nobody is able to do such a thing, you know, to be able to, nobody is a, to be able to do such a mitzvah. Okay, now let's move on. So let's see what the Gemara has to say. There was one guy in the city of Ashkelon. His name was Dama ben Netina. His father and him owned the jewelry store. One day... The stone of Shevet Binyamin, the Kohen, had a Choshen, 12 stones, precious stones. One stone fell out. They look at his Choshen, one stone is it's very expensive stone. Rubies, diamonds, whatever. So it's, this, this stone called Yashve, it's a very expensive stone. Very hard to get such a stone. They went all over. Everyone said, that guy has it. Dama Benetina has this Yashve. You can get it by him. So the treasuries of Bet Hamikdash of the temple, they went to they went to Dama uh, Benatina to buy it. So he said, "Yeah, I do have it. I do have that stone. It's upstairs. Let me go get it." How much? They told him, "Whatever, ten thousand dollars." So he said, ten thousand dollars, no problem. We agree. Go and get it. And go go and get it. He says. So what happened is. After a few minutes, the guy came down and said, I cannot sell you the stone today. So they thought, ah, probably realized it's too cheap, the price. Let's, we cannot take a risk that somebody else will buy that stone. Finally, we got it. Okay, we'll give you 15. Don't worry. Go get it. No, no, no. They don't let him talk. They're nervous. 20. No, 40. Get the stone. 100. Just get the stone already. No, no, I can't sell. They went. 
Then they told them, the rabbis, what did you do? So we found it. He doesn't want to. He started with ten. He got to a hundred. Go back tomorrow morning. Make it two hundred. We have no choice. We need a stone for the choshen. It's very important. So they went the next day, and he said, "Oh, you came back. Hold on. Let me go get you the stone." After they doubled the price, he came down and he said, "Here is the stone. Ten thousand dollars." I already got to two hundred. He said, "Only ten. So what's, what do you mean 10? We already got with you to 200, why you say 10? And I told him, maybe it's fake, it's a trick. He said, no, I wasn't bargaining with you. My father was sleeping on the box of the jewelry. And I didn't want to wake him up. So, he says, my father was sleeping on a box. And I couldn't uh, wake him up. Now he's not here. I get you the stone. They couldn't believe what the righteous guy. Look at him. Could have taken advantage. He gave it to them for the original price. They went. And Hashem said, this guy deserved to get a big reward. What happened? One year later exactly. Or actually the next year. The following year. Probably a few months later. He had a red cow that was born to him. How much a red cow worth? Any amount you want. If today you're a farmer in Texas and you have a red cow, you're the luckiest person in the world. Any amount you want, the Jews will have to pay you. You want 10 million, they pay. You want 50 million, they pay. You want billion, they pay. Whatever you say. They'll try to bargain with you. But that's on one condition, that you never put any weight on the back of the cow. Or you never made the cow work. From the minute it was born, you never used it. Then it's worth a lot. If you sit on it one minute, the value of that red cow went down to $5,000. That's it. Regular price. So anyway, what do we learn from this Gemara? Why the Gemara bring us that story? First, to show you the righteous goyim. Right? Some goyim are good, some are not good. Also some Jews are good, some Jews are not good. But that's not really the point here. The point is to show you that besides the seven laws that the goyim require to keep, they also require to keep every mitzvah that depends on common sense. Everything that is required by human beings' common sense, the goyim must keep. For instance, respecting your parents. It's not one of the seven laws. But you see that Hashem gave him a huge reward for keeping this mitzvah. Now remember, when you are obligated to keep the mitzvah, you get a much bigger reward when you're not obligated. Many people think, listen, I don't have to do it, and I volunteer to do it. Who gets a bigger, bigger reward for keeping Shabbat? A Jew or a Goy? A Jew must keep. There's no choice. If not, he gets a severe punishment for it. He has no share to the world to come. He can be stoned to death by the Jewish court. There's a terrible uh, results from this sin. But a goy can do whatever he wants on Shabbat. It's not a sin for him. If a goy comes to keep Shabbat, he's not lighting fire, he's not riding, he's keeping Shabbat like a Jew. He even stands by the window of the synagogue and pray with everyone. Today a goya asked me, that she's going to buy a Jewish Siddur. Her and her husband in the process of converting now, Baruch Hashem, through the lectures. Sometimes I have a feeling that I make more Goim Jews than Jews Jews. 
<laughs> That's what it is based on the amount of emails. So anyway, so she wants, she goes to buy a sidur, a Jewish sidur. And she asks, now she remembered to ask, after she decided to buy a sidur, if she's allowed to use this sidur as a non-Jew. What's the answer? What do you say? Allowed or not allowed? Right, a guy that keeps Shabbat, it's not allowed. But let's say he didn't know. He didn't know. He wants to do something good. He deserves a bigger reward than a Jew. The Jew must do it. The guy is volunteer to do it. Who should get a bigger prize? Someone who must do it. If if something spill in your living room in your house and your daughter cleaned it or her friend cleaned it. Who deserves a bigger Yeshar Koach? Your daughter or the neighbor who ran and cleaned it? Your daughter lived there. It's her obligation to do it. The neighbor, she doesn't owe you anything. She volunteered, no? So she deserves a, gra- a greater gratitude. But that's not how it works. The rule is, when you are obligated, the Satan resists you and does everything to prevent you from doing it. Make you tired, not interested, busy with something else. Doesn't pay, don't be a fool, hide. Nobody will remember tomorrow, don't worry. All these things that come to your mind because the evil inclination is fighting against you. But when you are not obligated, nobody fights against you. You're free, no resistance. That's why the reward of someone who is obligated is much bigger than someone who is not. When a woman learns Torah, no resistance. She can sit until the morning and enjoy. A man, every five minutes, where should I go? There's a game. What time the game starts? Would I make it? Not make it? This, that. It's very hard for him to learn. You see right away, there's resistance. So the goyim, they're allowed to use Jewish Sidur or not? You know what it is? It's very interesting because once a goy decided to become a righteous goy, he ran into a very serious problem. What is the problem? He's stuck between heaven and earth. He cannot be in heaven, he cannot be on earth. What do I mean? He cannot belong anymore to the churches or to the mosque, because he knows it's all fake. So he has no place to go pray there. And he cannot come into the synagogue and pray with the Jews. He cannot be a part of the minyan and the Jewish ceremonies. So he really has no place to go. He wants to take his children to teach them about God. This is what came to my attention after the email of this lady. She said, now we live in somewhere in America. Now I cannot go anymore. So now she asks, well, we have one conservative shul in our area. At least I go there. My kids learn Hebrew. They learn a little bit about Israel. They learn some of the things from the Torah. Better than nothing, no? Because there's no Orthodox where we live. And there's only one conservative shul. Yeah, they come on Shabbat with a car. So she writes to me, if this is better than nothing or not, what do you think the answer is? So it's better that they won't see anything Jewish, or they'll see 5%, 10%. So, Baruch Hashem, you're all clever. That's what I answer her. Better they won't see anything from the conservative. Why? Not doing anything because you're ignorant is not as bad as learning from wicked people to do the wrong thing. To do with your hands the wrong thing, it's much worse than sit and do nothing. Remember this rule in life. Two wicked people, one did the crime with his hand, 
and one just was sitting doing nothing, the one who did it with his hands has a much bigger punishment. You got the point or not? So, the idea here is, the kids, uh, she has kids, young kids, the kids will see there is another way to be a Jew. Doesn't have to be so strict. You don't have to sweat on Shabbos walking half an hour to the shul. You come with your car. You do, you smoke, you talk on the phone, you drive to the mall. What's the problem? You come to the synagogue for an hour with a car. Everything is easy. You cook, you make yourself coffee, you make breakfast. Everything like a goy. What's the difference? You came to the synagogue and heard a few words of prayers. That's, it. That's really the difference. You know, between them and a goyim. Other than that, there's really no difference. So the kids, one day when they would like to convert to real Orthodox Judaism would be too late. That's it. It's already engraved into the heart of these kids. They go and change them and tell them, no, this is not allowed, this is not What do you mean? The rabbi was coming with the car. They call him the rabbi. Even though conservative is not as bad as reform, when there's different levels of conservatives, because I know there's few of them that really keep Shabbat. Very few. Here and there you find that one conservative rabbi does keep Shabbos. But it's very, very few. Very, very rare. You can count on one or two hands how many like this you have. The rest is thousands who do not keep anything. So now the next question, is the Goy allowed to pray with the Jewish Siddur? The answer is, depend what parts of the Siddur. All the parts of Tehillim, praising Hashem, is allowed, why not? But, when we say, Elokeinu ve'elokei avoteinu, our God and our Father's God, it's not their Father's God, Jacob is not their Father, right? Second, uh, uh, build our temple, Bet Amikdash, they cannot say it, it's a lie, it's not them. Thank you for taking us out of Egypt. I'm your God who took you out of Egypt. They were never in Egypt. They don't connect. It's going to be all lies. Half of what they say in the Siddur, it's a lie. It's not them. Well, in that case, we have now another question. What happened if a guy convert to be a Jew, and now he said the blessings of the morning, Birkot HaShachar. And one of the blessings is, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Shelo Asani Goy. Bless you, God, who did not make me a Goy. Now they are Jewish. Can they say this blessing? Yeah. Thank you for not making me a goy. Why? It's a lie. He made them a goy. They made themselves Jewish with a free choice. But God made them a goy. They converted. But the, the blessing is not what I am now. What you made me. When you made me, what did you made me? Huh? It's a very hard question. Huh? So this answer comes down to one argument. The answer is depend on one argument. What is the argument? If the blessing in the mornings are the blessing for the individual or for the general rule? If it's for the individual, then they cannot say this blessing. It's a lie. Because they specifically were made going. But if we are saying the blessing is a one unit, as an entire nation, we praise God for the general rule. For instance, a blind person. Can he say in the morning, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Shel, Open the eyes of the blind. Can he say such blessing? He's blind now. Goes like this. Cannot see anything. Bless you, God, opening the eyes of the blind. He's still blind. What blessing is that? Huh? So the answer is, the answer is, 
there is a big argument, really, between the Chachamim. Some say this is allowed, some say it's not allowed. Some say it goes on a general. It's Shevach Hashem. It's not for you. Which means, we have a bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Shasali Kod Tzorki, that fulfill all my needs. But what does it really mean? that fulfill all my needs, that gave me shoes to wear. That's the secret. Now what would happen if a person is poor? In the old days poor, people didn't have shoes. Can they say this blessing? He's walking barefoot in the street, and now he, has to, he comes to shul and he has to make a bracha. Thank you for Shasali called Sorki. doesn't have shoes. It's all these problematic questions. If it goes on a rule, then he can still say it, because most people does have. But if it goes on himself, then he cannot say it. Let's move on. So the Gemara says, Hashem sent him a red cow, and he said to them, like this, he says, the Jews ran quickly to buy the red cow from him. So he told them, I know that if I'll tell you any amount of money, you pay without arguing. Because I know how desperately you need the red cow. But all I want that you give me the amount of money that I lost when I sold you that stone. That's it. Whatever you wanted to give me, <laughs> I didn't take, that's what you give me. You got it? So, we see here, that not only this guy is honest and decent and righteous, that it's a... The Gemara brings this in the Talmud. This, and I mention his name. This guy, Dhamma ben Netina, became a legendary image. Two thousand years, every Jew in the world heard about him. Everyone who sits in Yeshiva, he is probably now this guy in heaven. He's going like a peacock, with his, you know, with his pride. <laughs> I'm Dhamma ben Netina, one of the only goyim who were engraved into the Talmud. Everybody knows about him, you know. The Avdil, everybody also know about Esav. When they hear Esav, they get goosebumps. Ugh, Esav. Don't remind me Esav. Ishmael, Pere Adam. Dama Benatina, wow. Dama Benatina. There's few going like this in the Talmud. He was one of them, Baruch Hashem. So let's move on. The Gemara says like this. This is exactly what I say. Gadola metzuve ve'oseh yoter mimi she'eno metzuve ve'oseh. Someone who is obligated to do and does is greater than someone who is not obligated and does. You should know that. And the Gemara asks this. A blind person, is he dismissed from all the mitzvot or he has to keep some of the mitzvot? What do you say? For instance, a blind person, right? A blind person, can he read in the Torah? Let's see, he knows by heart, Shema. And now it's the parasha. Can he stand by the Torah and say by heart? What's, uh, people have to hear now Shema, it's parashat HaShavua. They give Aliyah, and he wants to learn. Shema Israel. He learned the whole thing by heart. Can he do it? No, because he has to read. Some say even if you have glasses, it's a problem. Because the glass separates between you and the, and the Sefer Torah. Same thing, when you want to make Birkat HaLevana, and if you see it from the window, it's a separation, even though you see it, but it's not a regular thing. Very interesting. Same thing when you talk on the phone. If your friend say a bracha while you're with him on the phone, 
ברוך אתה השם אלוקינו מלך העולם שהכל נהיה בדברו. He drinks water now. on the other side of the line. You, are, you have to say amen or you're not allowed to say amen. Why? Because the voice that you hear, it's an illusion. It's not really the voice. It's waves, it's radio waves that goes into a special receiver and the receiver translated to the same voice of the person. That's why the voice is not 100% the same. I mean, you can recognize people sometimes on the phone, but not always. But in reality, you always recognize the voice. But same thing on a microphone. You're standing in the western wall next to the speaker, you're far away, and somebody with a microphone over there is speaking. You don't hear his voice. The same thing, the microphone works like the phone. Takes the voice and does something in the receiver, and then translates it to the original voice. So now if somebody pray and you don't hear the original voice, are you allowed to answer Amen on his blessings? This is all problematic questions. So now the Gemara continues, the Gemara says like this. The Gemara says like this. A blind person. What's happening today? There's a too much interference here. So really, the blind person can, is not obligated to keep. But now when he does, does he get a bigger reward? That he can sleep and do nothing, but now he comes and do. Is he obligated or not obligated? The answer is, is getting him, he's getting his reward, but someone who is not obligated, his reward is less, not more, like some people may think. Then the Gemara says like this, Rav Dimi Amar, פעם אחת היה לבוש סירקון של זהב, והיה יושב בן גדולי רומי, ובא עמו וקראתה ממנו וטפחה לו על ראשו. There was a person, he was an important person, so he was sitting between all the chief leaders of Romy, the empire of Romy, they occupied Israel, so they have soldiers, generals, so all the important Romans are sitting in a meal, and, and this guy is sitting between them. And then while he's sitting with them, his mother came and ripped his jacket that was made from gold stripes. A real expensive jacket from real gold. You know, they have stripes from gold. So she ripped it. And she banged him with something on the head, embarrassing him in front of everyone, and spit in his face. So three things. She ripped, she banged him on the head, and she spit in his face. And he did not make a beep. And then something that she was holding to hit him fell from her hand. So quickly he picked it up and handed it to her, <laughs> and gave it to her. Shalot itzta'er, that she won't feel bad now, it makes her angry now, she has to go pick it up. So quickly he picked it up and said, here, 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 here. So the Gemara says like this. Tana avimi berede rabi abau. Avimi, the son of rabi abau, this is what he said. Yesh ma'achil le'aviv pasyoni ve'tordo min ha'olam. There is a kind of a Jew that feed his father great rooster, turkey, chicken, whatever you want to call it, delicious on a grill, and has horrible punishment when he die. And there, and there is a son that makes his father work for him in a rechaim. You know what rechaim? Two round stones, one on top of the other, 
like the old days how they used to grind the flour or, or the hot peppers. They used to have two stones, they pick up one stone, they put it in between and the donkey goes around. The donkey goes around and the two stones are grain, grain together, grinding each other. Then you pick up the top stone and then you take up everything. That's how it used to be. What do you think? It's like today, you press the button, everything comes out and you complain. Just last Shabbat I heard a woman complain that she had a $300 mixer. She used to make her dough but she got rid of it. So my wife asked her, why? She said, you know, I didn't like it. Because when you used it, you, it was making you stand next to it. You couldn't go away. Why? Because it was, while it was vibrating, it moved. And she was always afraid it's going to fall from the, from the counter. So five minutes while he was making the dough, she had to stand next to it. So for that, she got rid of it. She's doing with the hands now. She was explaining how she made the challah. And I'm sitting to myself and laughing. I said, pressing a button and just standing watching the machine. What a hard work for the ladies today. Huh? This is it. The more easy your life becomes, the more lazy you become. It's very interesting. Someone who has a very hard physical life does not suffer of someone who over the years have less and less to do. Because someone who has less and less to do, even though he hardly do anything, it's so much for him, he suffers mentally so much. He's doing nothing. I know a woman, she doesn't do anything. She gets up in the morning, the kids go to the bus. She makes them, you know, a few sandwiches, they go on the bus. They come three, four, six, everyone comes in a different time. She has a car. All day she can do whatever they want. She can retail leave, she can sleep, she can go shopping, she can go shopping. She calls, they deliver. Really easy life. And then her husband worked very hard. So she started to tell her husband, you know, you really have the nerve. You never help with the carpool. <laughs> now she doesn't have to do everyday carpool. Sometimes there's a, a, a national holiday. You know, I don't know, once, twice a month. So she has to drive five minutes to get the kids. You don't help. <laughs> so he told her, you see, that's what happened. When your life used to be hard, the kids were all home, this, you have to work so hard, you never complain. Now when you hardly have anything to do, wow, oh, it's so much for you. This is the way the person is, less and less and less. What is it like? It's like the people, I, I don't know if I ever told you that story, but you know, when the rabbis come from Israel to collect charity here, most of them are ignorant in collecting money. They don't really know where to collect, who to go to. And if you don't know the rich people, until you learn, you have to go back to Israel. And you know, the rich people are becoming tougher and tougher. When business is booming, it takes you a week until they agree to meet you. When business is struggling, it takes a year until they agree to meet with you. And 500 times you have to call, 400 times they ignore your phone calls. And finally, when by mistake he picked up the phone, he said, I'm sorry, can you call me back in an hour? And then, of course, another month he doesn't pick up. And finally, when he really got to the top that he's already beginning to be embarrassed after a year and 500 phone calls, then he keeps postponing the, day, the meeting. Okay, Wednesday. And then he said, okay, next ma Monday. Oh, my, 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 my daughter just gave birth. We're going to be busy this week. Next week, oh, we have a bar mitzvah of my cousin. It's not a good thing. Okay, next week. Oh, next week it's Shavuot. It's not good. It's very hectic. Like this, it's been going. And, and the poor one, <laughs> he has to go back to Israel. He needs money. The yeshiva will be closed. 
So what do they do? They get a driver. Now the driver, when they started, when they found the trick that you can drive the, the rabbis around, they only wanted 10% for their time, efforts, you know. Then, you know, in the beginning it was a few dollars an hour. Like a regular taxi driver, I don't know, 10, 15 dollars an hour, I drive you anywhere you want all day. Then they said, no, Abbas, you're getting, Baruch Hashem, good donations, 10% you give me. Then 20% he became, then 30. Then now it became 49%. Why? Most of the money has to go towards the cause of the tzedakah. If it doesn't go, then it's like cheating the donator. If you give most of it to what he wants, the majority is count like everything. But these two greedy collectors, they already became so greedy and they became already well known. They already sharp. They know where to go and how to, where to catch the rich people. When he played tennis in the morning, he davened in this shul on Monday, and that day he davened here. They know all the tricks. So they come to the rabbi and say, Rabbi, I'm very sorry. I only take rabbis who agree to give me 70%. I don't care, halacha. I'm not religious. You give me 70%, you take 30%, but I'll take you to 100 people in two weeks. What you're not going to do in a year by yourself. Some of them have no choice, they want to get money, so they go with them. Then they decided, these two crooks, why do we even need the rabbi bichlal? Why do we need partners? <laughs> I'm just showing you how the nature of the people is. It says, ergel nafach leteva. When you become used to something, it becomes your nature slowly, slowly. Why do we need the rabbis? We're stupid, we give them 30%. <laughs> That's a true story. True story. Let's make ourselves a, some kind of a ladder. We make up a reason why we collect charity. And we collect 100%. So they made to, they went to the Russian in Brighton Beach. Over there you can print anything you want. You can print a letter from Obama that he recommend you be the next president. Everything you tell them, they make for you with signature of the White House, green card, social security, driver's license, passport, whatever you need, you get there. Yeah. So, they got two letters, fake letters, Rav Ayovadia, Rav Eliashiv, all the important signature on it, now they laminate it, and now they go. One of them, I don't know what happened with the other one, but on one of them I know what happened to him. He wrote in the letter that he has a, a blind, not a blind, a deaf, a deaf, a baby, a deaf daughter was born to him and she needs a surgery in her ears, it's a lot of struggling and suffering so he's collecting money for the operation so he went, people give him, you know, people are merciful poor guy, I hope I won't have ever a kid like this people feel bad for birth defects and, and stuff like that they gave him 150, 200, 500, he collects for X amount of time then, and when he made the letter, he wasn't even married. He wasn't even married, Bechlal. He goes and says he has a deaf daughter. He's not even married. doesn't have kids. A year later, he got married. Two years later, he had a baby girl. Deaf. You understand what's going on here? That's what the Gemara say. Everyone who lies and say he needs charity, will not die from this world unless if he's going to need for real charity. He won't leave this world like this. He will get to a point that what he said to the people, that's what's going to happen to him. Also, if you lie and say, I'm sick, 
I cannot come, I'm sick. Almost for sure, that sickness will come to you. When I came to America in 1989, my father had a friend in Israel that had a brother here in Great Neck. He was an Israeli guy. He went to America, he, he opened himself a few stores, he became pretty wealthy. So, he didn't have kids, this man. Couldn't have kids. Married to an American Jew. And uh, every summer, he used to come to Israel. Where does he come? To the city where I used to live. His brother is there, so he come. So I met, with, I met with him, you know, we started to become friendly. So after he went back to America, I, as, that's exactly when I finished the army, I was 21 years old. And I didn't know what to do, because in Israel the economy at that time was extremely horrible. There's no jobs, nothing, no, no, no even hope. So my father said, what are we going to do with you now? I have to find a way what to do. So he said, I have an idea. I'm going to speak to my friend about his brother. Maybe he will agree to accept you there in America. He has businesses. Maybe over there people make a lot of money. It was good, good. The situation was much better here in 1989. Not like now, soon this country is, you know, they're talking about any day Obama is about to announce that America cannot pay their debt to the world. Wait and see what's going to happen in a month here. It's coming close what I've been talking about in the last year or two. Today in Israel, in the main newspaper on the front, they put, uh, they ask uh, Schiller. Schiller is the second world famous economist in the world. Mr. Schiller here in America is all over the news. They interviewed him. They asked him, Mr. Schiller, is it possible that Obama will announce soon that the United States will not be able to pay their loans to the world? He said, yeah, it's very close. It's closer than ever. It happened once in 1933. But then, America was a very productive country. Their manufacturing was booming here. It's like, like in China today, it was here. Everything was made in USA. So right away, within 10 years, they recuperate the economy. Today, nothing is made in USA. Everything is Taiwan, China, India, Pakistan, Egypt. Ecuador, Mexico, nothing is made in USA, nothing. Everything you buy in a store is nothing made in USA. Even the cars used to be made in USA, no more. They close almost everything. So nothing is, there's nothing to boost the economy here. Real estate is going down to zero. The dollar collapsed to zero. You're going to need a hundred dollars to buy a can of soda in Europe in a few months from now. You want a can of soda, you want to buy a ticket to go to Paris, you're going to have to work one year to pay for the ticket just. Because the dollar won't have any value. So they interview him. Go search for that interview. It was a few days ago. See what he says. What's going to happen here? Exactly word by word of what I've been telling you from simple common sense. What's going to happen here soon? So this is it. But the <laughs> how do we get to it? <laughs> we started here. We ended up in the academy. <laughs> Yeah, so this guy, <laughs> he said, well, talk to him in America, business is okay. Maybe I agree to find you a job. So he spoke to his brother. Now, I, I, in a way, I was lucky that he didn't have children, because he wasn't busy with his own kids. He has money, and he doesn't have who to give it to. And he's bored at home. Israeli guy that he can finally speak Hebrew a little bit can give me a room in his house. So he said, of course, when are you coming? 
I said September, September 89, no problem, I'll wait for you in the airport. I got there, he picked me up, now I, what am I going to do? Don't worry, you have a place to sleep, you have food, you have everything. You take the dog a little bit to the park there in Great Neck, that's your obligation. <laughs> what do you worry to work? I said, no, I came here to make money, I'm not here to stand in a house playing backgammon here. Bottom <laughs> line, in the end, you know, I lived by him for a few months, then I found myself a job, I moved out, and the rest is history. But how did we get to here? I'm getting confused here today. How did we get to here? Let's see who can remember. <laughs> so we were talking about here, we ended up over there. Ay, 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 ay. No, 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 no. I was talking about the, the son that makes his, his father works in Erechaim. You know, how people today complain about, uh, you know, things that they do. But I don't know how I ended up by him. You see, I had a rabbi, he was teaching Mara, and then one Gemara that leads you to a Midrash, that leads you to a Zohar, that leads you here and there, and two hours he's talking. And then after two hours, when he finished everything he had to say, he said, we started in New York, now we're in Zimbabwe. How did we get here? And of course, nobody remembers. Nobody remembers. He was the only one that was able to go reverse now two hours. You, uh, the, uh, how I got to this? Yeah, because I spoke about this, yeah. And then how did I get to this? I spoke about this. I was going back in two or three minutes to the source, how the journey began. <laughs> so we used to call him Melech Areversim, the king of the reverse. <laughs> he can reverse anywhere you want. But I'm already losing it. That's it. Look, gray hair. So let's move on. If you remember, maybe you remind me next week. Anyway, so the Gemara continued. The Gemara say, why? Why a person make his father eat beautiful chickens, grilled chicken, goes to hell, God forbid, and someone who makes his father work like a slave, it's a great mitzvah. Why? Depend how he treats him. Come to your father, here, old man, here, here is your chicken, you got on my nerve, uh, I wish you die already, take it. Here, enjoy, the best chicken, you like it. That's no mitzvah. He eats, he enjoys the food, after you step, you step him 300 times in his heart. <laughs> when you're comparing what you gave him compared to the damage you're doing to him, so that's nothing. The other one, father, we need help in a, in a business, and I don't have anybody. You want to come work? Okay, I come. I'm sorry, forgive me. What can we do? We go bankrupt. So his father walked like a slave with him in a business, but there's no, no bad intention. He's talking to him in a nice way, respects him. He makes him work. It's all depends on the behaving. The Gemara says, When is it considered fear? And when is considered honoring? What's considered Mora? Mora comes from the word Ira. Ira, it's a combination of fear and that goes together always with respect. When there's an important person, in one way you fear him, but it's combined with admiration to who he is. 
Now the Gemara say, when is it only fear? When is it only respect? When it comes to respecting your parents. The Gemara says like this, fear, fear, Mora comes ira, fear that is mixed with honoring, you don't stand where he's used to stand. If your father is a rabbi, and this is his shul, and you always stand here and talk, when the audience asks you if your father is out of town, and they ask you to give a speech instead of your father, you don't stand in his place, in his standard. You stand next to it, somewhere else. You move it, or you bring something else, or a different table, not in the place where he is. No. If he has a chair that he routine sits in it, in the house, in the shul, you don't sit in your father's chair. When your father says something, even if he made a mistake in a story, in the details, you don't ever tell him, no, you're wrong, it wasn't like that. Later you can tell him, I just want to remind you, later, but in front of people, you don't ever say, no, it wasn't like this. Don't win the arguments against him. There is even a question, if you play chess with your father, you're allowed to win? You're 18, your father is 60. It's like uh, humiliating him. Oh, look, the boy defeats his father. If you're alone, no. But in front of people, it's an embarrassment. It's a question, I'm not joking. It's much a question in Halakha if it's allowed or not. For instance, when I used to play with this guy, I saw that in the beginning, I wasn't smart. So I used to win him. <laughs> so I saw he takes it to his heart. Then I realized soon I'm going to be living in the street. <laughs> so I started to lose. From the minute I lost, ah, he became my best buddy. Ah, respecting me, smiling all day. So while he was losing, he went crazy. Why? Sometimes the nature of the people is not about money, it's about honor. Anyway, so... Now, now we're talking about respecting. So far we're talking about respect that comes through fear. Now we're talking about respect that comes with honor. What's honoring him? Don't, you have to feed him and give him something to drink if he doesn't have on his own. You feed him, you make for him. If he doesn't have what to wear, you buy him clothing. He needs a blanket, you buy him blanket. And if he needs to take to go to places and he cannot go on his own, you take him to shul, you bring him back. Then the Gemara says, how far the, the obligation to respect them can go? How far? The Gemara gives an example. The Gemara says, if he took your wallet, now you have a wallet, I don't know, thousands of dollars inside. He grab it from your jacket and throw it into the lake. Now you see the fish eating your hundred dollar bills. The heart is boiling, no? But it's your father. Now they're allowed to make a beep. Imagine if something like this happened today. What would happen to this father? You see him on CNN five minutes later. Breaking news. I leave it to your own imagination what would happen to him with the youth that we have today. Right? Enomach limo. So, the Gemara says like this, they give all kinds of examples, but if he made you financial damage, believe it or not, you're allowed to claim the money. You're not allowed to make a beep. Whatever he insulted you, don't make a beep. 
But if he took a share that cost you a hundred dollars and burned it, you can sue him in Beidin to pay for the hundred dollars. If you know he has the money. He doesn't have the money, what's going to be? You want him to be a slave? There's a limit. But if he is a wealthy guy, he just took something, he got your car and smashed it. I don't know what he did. He made you a damage. For the financial damage, for his own good, you sue him. Why? If he die with this damage, he has a serious problem. If a person dies a thief, he, the first person he will be angry at is the person that he stole money from. Why you didn't bother me enough? Why you left me alone after one or two attempts? If you would bothering me every day, in the end I'll give you your money. Give me headache. In the end I say, you know, what do I need is aggravation. Everywhere I go, this guy is chasing me. Just take your money and leave me alone. That's usually how people return debt. To the one who will give them more embarrassment and headache, they pay first. To the nice, quiet people, they pay last. That's how it usually is. So, now the Gemara say another rule. A father that forgives his honor. You don't have to respect me, it's okay, I forgive. Is he allowed or is he still obligated to give him the respect? He said, no, no, don't worry about it. I don't care, you can sit in my chair. When I come to the house, you don't have to rise. You don't have to do anything because I don't care about these things. Yeah, don't worry, see it anywhere you want, eat from my plate, I don't care. Allowed or not allowed? The answer is allowed. Kvodo machul. And he cleaned you in heaven. Why he didn't do this? My father told me I don't have to. Okay. So what we learn from it? That Hashem cared about the father. The father doesn't need it, Hashem doesn't have a problem with that. What about a rabbi now? There is laws how to respect the rabbi. Unfortunately, nobody respects rabbis today. Some people do, but even the people who does respect, they are very, very far away from what the halacha requires. There's ways how to talk to them. For instance, you cannot come to your rabbi after the shiur and tap him on the shoulder or on the back, like he's a friend from high school. Even though you mean well, you love him, it's a sign of love, it's like, hey, buddy. <laughs> You tap him on the There are certain things that people mean well, but they don't know. Or you come to him and say, can you give me a ride? Or certain things that people don't mean bad, they really don't know. And they don't understand how to where Hashem requires to give respect. Now, the difference between a father and the, and the rabbi is like this. Father is Hashem wanted to benefit the parents. Father and mother. Rabbi... It's not for him. It's really respecting Hashem. That's the difference. Why? A father is a representative of himself. A rabbi is a representative of Hashem. Making a problem to the rabbi is going to fight against Hashem. If your father told you, dismissed, don't have to, you don't have a problem with Hashem. If the rabbi told you, don't have to respect me, don't worry. When I come in, you don't have to rise. When I talk, you can argue with me. You can insult me, you can do whatever you want. I don't care. You know, I'm allowed to do it. Whatever he gives you permission to do, you're not allowed to do it. Why? He doesn't own the Torah. It's Hashem's Torah. So when did, why he did receive the, the respect to begin with? Thanks to his knowledge in the Torah. 
If he didn't have the knowledge, he wasn't a rabbi. How can he speak if he doesn't know anything? If he knows to teach, and by the way, we are talking about someone who behaves also according to the Torah. If he's only a beautiful speaker, and is the worst despicable human being, then he's not a rabbi, he's a wicked person. It's not only knowledge, it's knowledge combined with behaving. What kind of person is? Everyone hates him on the street. He takes money from people and doesn't pay. He cheats people. He does bad things to people. He has bad reputation. He got caught and was uh, all kinds of things about him. So what if he knows? Can, uh, uh, Arafat can also learn Torah 20 years and know a lot of Torah. So are we going to respect him? We know he's a murderer. So what's the point? The idea is, if there is no clear knowledge that he does anything against the Torah, then you must give him respect like you give Hashem. However, if you know he messed up with the ladies, he have personal appointment with them until four in the morning, you know, in his office. Three thirty, the girls are still waiting online. No, somebody like this you can give respect is a murderer. What respect you give him? Murdering people with his desires or whatever his filthy mind is, it's no, no, no respect. If you have a doubt, you go to a big rabbi and ask him, I saw this and this and this. Do I have to give him respect like Hashem say? Or from that moment I don't have to. And believe me, unfortunately in our generation, in our generation, there is a lot to worry about. I, I tell you about uh, 12, 13 years ago, there's one, uh, one person in Munsi that went to Israel to fight against one of these crooked rabbis. The story was 20 years ago. Well, he told me the story 12 years ago. He said, my wife was pregnant here in New York. I left her in the eight-month pregnancy, and I went to the rabbis in Israel to get a letter to terminate that crook. Since that crook was very powerful in his mouth, it was very difficult to fight against him. People who know how to talk, it's like a real weapon. They deceive people very easily if they're crooked. So he went to many big rabbis. Everyone heard who he's talking about. Nobody wanted to do it. The, the chief rabbis were afraid to sign against him. So in the end, the crook went to one big rabbi and got a letter of recommendation from him. Not only they didn't sign against him, from all this conspiracy, he was able to get a letter of recommendation. He was waving it to everyone. You see, they're making stories about me. What happened in the end? Guess what? While he was celebrating the letter, that person that went to fight against him, smoke came out of his ears. He said, I'm not going back. I don't care. Even my wife give birth. He said, I left my business, he has a business, big business in Manhattan, for more than a month, the business is with no owner. Who knows what they steal over there. The wife is alone in a house with a stomach like this, and I'm running from one to the other, and everyone was afraid to sign. Why? If there will be other big rabbis who sign, I'll join. But I don't want to be the first. Nobody wants to be the first. He's about to go back to America, and he didn't get the letter. Which means, if he fell, that crook will do it a million times worse now with his letter of recommendation. Because there's a lot of naive people. So guess what happened in the end? And the last day, he has a flight for tomorrow. He went to Rav Ben Zion Abba Jaul, the biggest chacham in the world at that time. 
biggest Kabbalists, very humble, very down to earth. He's the chief Sfaradi rabbi in the world 20 years ago. And he told him, Rabbi, tomorrow I'm going back to New York. You're going to sign or no? He put his glasses, he looked, he said, no, I can't, uh, I can't sign on it. It's too, this letter is, we have to think, he has a family, children. He was thinking. So he, so he told him like this, listen good how life and death is in a, in a mouth. He told him, Rabbi, I'm here for a month, more than a month. I ran from morning to night, I made meetings, I made proofs, I brought witnesses, I did everything. It cost me a lot of money. Who knows if my business will even survive. I did everything, I'm clean. From this moment on, it's all on your head. Every woman you will abuse, every scandal will happen with him, you are guilty of it. Goodbye. Just when he went out of the door, Ben Sion gave a shout, Come back! He took the letter, he signed right away on the letter. Five minutes later, he ran to all the... Everyone saw he signed right away without thinking twice. They signed, they evicted him from his place, and he was hiding. What is the problem? That this week, he raped a 13 years old girl in Israel. And everyone in Israel now is making a party, all the, the, the religion haters making a party, how psychos are the religious people. You understand what happened? In the time of Bet HaMikdash, somebody like this right away will go to execution. That's what Hashem said to do. But over the years, people forgot about him. He lowered his profile. He went to some place that nobody knows him anymore like it used to be. And he continued to make his crimes, but not in front of the public, behind the, the scene, you know? And today, he got caught. And now you're going to see the Chilul Hashem who comes out. You understand what's going on here? So obviously, the Shulchan Aruch says like this. A person that is not decent, and is not honest, is not going in the way of the Torah, not only you don't have to respect him, you're not allowed to hear one word of Torah from his mouth. Did you know that? If you know there's a person who knows how to talk, and he can teach you Torah, but you know he works in 47, he's a crook, he cheats the customer, he gives them wrong jewelry, he doesn't pay, he takes loans and doesn't pay. And I'm allowed to learn by someone like this. Why? Even the Torah that you get from him is contaminated with all the wickedness of that person. Because remember, Torah, or music, everything spiritual, is affecting the soul immediately. It's like energy that goes from one soul to another. And if you receive from him something that is not pure, it makes you like him. You get the point here? Same thing with someone who wrote bad music, corrupted, sick person wrote music, and he is full, full of desire, women, all this, the way they are, all these corrupted singers. You listen to his music, his nefesh goes into yours. Even when you shake hand with a filthy person, this bad energy goes to you. You understand? That's why the Torah says, don't even look in the face of a wicked person. Why? You have a eye contact, energy is transferred from him to you. It's like receiving a virus in a download. Don't go into this website. There's a lot of viruses over there. 
That's why I'm telling you, I know people, they're very makbid on it. They don't look in people's faces. They know all these people, they walk, no yamaka, they're not Shomer Shabbat. When they talk to you, they go like this. Yeah, you may get offended, they don't care. Yeah, let him be offended, it's not my problem. Why should I destroy my soul? It's a, it's, it's a test. You have to be brave and strong that when you talk to a woman that she's not modest or to a person that is wicked, to watch your eyes not to look at them. It's not so simple, especially in our days. In the old days, once in a while you see one wicked person. Today, once in a while you see a righteous person. That's the difference, you know. Anyway, we're almost finished. We have a few more minutes. So let's see what the Gemara has to say about this. So the Gemara says like this, Ma'aseh berabi Eliezer verabi Yoshua verabi Tzadok. Three rabbis. Shayu mesubim bebet mishte. They went to like a wedding or bar mitzvah. Pardi. Bno shel Rabban Gamliel, the son of Rabban Gamliel, was sitting there, and Rabban Gamliel, the father, is serving. He's bringing food, drinks to the table. Natan akos lerabi Eliezer, he gave the cup, to Rabbi Eliezer, he didn't want to take it from him. He gave it to Rabbi Yoshua, and he took it from him. Rabbi Eliezer asked, Rabbi Eliezer told him, what is it, Rabbi? Why are you, accept, you accepting from him? This is a very important Rabbi. You make him serve us? He's much bigger than us. How you make him serve you like a waiter? It's no honor for the Torah. That's why I didn't want to take. Not that I'm not hungry, I'm also hungry. How can I give, imagine you go to the house of Rabbi Ovad Yosef, a 90 years old man, he gets up from his chair, he goes and make you an, a, a cheese omelet now, and serve you. You don't know where to hide from the embarrassment, no? Hey Rabbi, can you also heat up a bagel for me? <laughs> you embarrassed, no? So, so he, say, he says like this, it says, you're right, but I have a proof that I can do it. What? Avraham Avinu. Do you know anyone that was greater than him? Abraham? Who did Avraham Avinu was serving? Three Arabs from the desert. He didn't know who they are. Three Arabs showed up. Iran slaughtered a cow, prepared tongue for them. What's the problem? Not only that, when they eat, he's standing like a soldier, like a waiter. Do you know the waiters that they stand by you? You go like this, yes sir. They know the tip is very nice. By mistake, not to go when you need something, then you know that you take a zero from the tip. <laughs> they were ready for the job. <laughs> so, it says like this. Maybe they look like angels to him. He said, no, the Torah said clearly, they look like Arabs. No mistake, he saw three Arabs coming. It says, so if Abraham served three Arabs, the difference between us to Rabban Gamliel is not so big. Yeah, he's greater than us, but he also big rabbis. So, Abraham and these three Arabs is a much bigger difference. So he brings him a proof from the Torah. You accept the proof or not? What do you think? Amar lahem Rabbi Tadok, until when you're going to be focusing on the honor of the people instead of the honor of Hashem? What did he mean? That's the third rabbi now, Rabbi Tzadok. It says like this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu mashiv ruchot ma'ale nesiim, morid matar, matzmiach adama, orech shulchan, lifne kol echad veechad, 
ואנו לא יהיה רבן גמליאל ברבי אומר סיידיסוזית, רבי צדוק טולדם, I don't understand, why are you giving us a proof from Abraham Avinu who served three Arabs? Bring a proof from Hashem who feed the Arabs. Hashem feeding us, bringing us rain, making vegetables and food grow, setting a table for each one of us that we have food to eat, giving us a place, building a home for us, bringing winds, making presidents. Everything we have comes from Hashem, He does for us. So if Hashem is bothering for each one of the people in this world, even the lousiest people, So Rabban Gamliel brought us coffee or whatever it was. It's no big deal. The Gemara continues. A person wanted to do a mitzvah and he was forced not to do it. He was on his way to help a widow. She needed help. So he's on the way to her house. And the police pulled him over. And accidentally found out that the car that he borrowed doesn't have insurance. So they take him to the precinct now. He wanted to go to make a mitzvah, and he ended up sitting in the precinct reading Tehillim. It's his fault that he didn't do the mitzvah or not? No, it's not his fault. There's nothing he couldn't have done. The great God is writing in your file that you did the mitzvah 100%. He was supposed to come to help her, to take her to some place, to help her go up the stairs, stay with her an hour until she finished, drive her back home. You didn't do it in the end. Something happened. I don't know, flat tire, you don't have a spare tire. Something happened. Count like you did. Somebody came a second before you and did. It counts you did. Actually, on the way here, it happens to me. I have a guy that runs my website, Already two and a half years, something like that. And now I ask help from another guy, somebody local. Why? Because the job that I needed done needed somebody to be in front of my computer. It was hard to do it with remote control. And it was, uh, we were under pressure. And I wanted to put lectures quickly in my website because they did not post them already for a long time. And I, I was waiting and waiting until they do it here. And I saw they're not doing it, so I decided that from now on I'm going to start putting my lecture first in my website and then other website. Until now, I was going to different website, and I was taking it from there and make my, my life easy. The only difference is that people in my website had to wait another few days until they get the lectures. You know, now I saw that the other people, not, for whatever reason, they're not posting the lectures. There's a delay and a delay and a delay. Once I saw it's too much of a delay and I get more and more complaints from people, I said, I don't have another day to waste. Hashem sent me a person right into me, into the lecture, and all of a sudden he talks to me about websites, and I ask him what does he know, he turns out he's an expert. Everything I needed done, he did in 24 hours. But the person who does it for two and a half years, he took it to his heart. He's a righteous person, but he said, well... I felt that giving a gift to Hashem, now you're taking it away from me. And I felt so bad, because it wasn't really ever the intention. So I assured him, I not only admire what he did, I'm very grateful to him. It was just a, a unique, bizarre situation. There was no time to waste. So anyway, I told him this Gemara. And I didn't really know that tonight I'm going to talk about it. 
He came right in front of me from the whole chas, the whole Talmud. I told him, don't worry. If I had another week to wait, then I would transfer it to you as we usually do. Since I already lost a month, I couldn't wait another week. There was no time. It was an emergency. But for you, it counts 100% that you posted all these six, eight lectures, whatever it was. Don't worry. Because you want so much. Hashem, no. It counts for you. You did. So what are you complaining? You didn't have to work. And it counts like you did. You understand? And this is the source. So now when you watch this lecture, in a few days, it's in Masechet Kiddushin, and this is it, exactly what the Gemara says. Hashav Adam la'asot mitzvah, person wanted to do a mitzvah, and was forced not to do it, not because of his fault. Ma'aleh alav ha'katuv, it counts like he did, ke'ilu asa. What happened if the opposite is happening? A person wanted to make a sin, and somebody else forced him not to do the sin. For, remember the guy who wanted to marry Christine in England? You remember or no? Huh? A religious Shomer Shabbos guy fell in love with a volunteer in Israel from England. Non-Jewish woman. You know, he fell in love. When you fall, it's very hard to come out. So since he fell in love, so they did everything they can to tell him it's against the Torah. Nothing personal against her. The Shem is not allowing. I'm sorry, I can't help it. I don't know what's going to happen. I know, I, I know it's going to be a sin. But my heart, Rabbi, my heart, it's very hard. I remember what the priest told me. I told him, I just proved to you your religion is nonsense. It's not correct. What did he say? But my heart doesn't let me leave it. It's been good to me over the years. <laughs> For three hours, he said, I agree. We have to follow the truth. 100% proof. When I prove to him, he said, but my heart. Heart is nothing. What's heart? Heart is hallucination. What? Feelings. Feelings. What feelings? Person come, help me, help me. You help him, tomorrow you found out he took the money and bought a gun and killed someone. That's the heart. If you follow the Torah, the Torah tells you, don't help a murderer. Look how he looks. Somebody like this, you don't give money. There's rules. You don't go with your heart. So... That guy wanted to go to Mary Christine and he had a date. The invitations were sent out. 500 people are waiting in a church in London. His friends saw that there's nothing they can do to prevent it. So they told him, listen, before you go to England, before you go, we, we tremendously regret that you're going to marry a non-Jewish woman. But you are, after all, a friend that you grew up with us. Come, we'll drink lechaim. We want to give you a gift for your wedding. He felt good. Ah, finally the pressure is off my back. So he came on the, on the way to the airport. He came through his friends. He came to the house. They bring champagne, whatever. They, they make a show. As he didn't pay attention, they say, okay, the gift is in the room. Come, we'll give it to you. He came to the room. They pushed him in the room. They locked the door. Up. What happened? Open the door. You're not coming out of there for three days. You have to fill in in a closet, you have water, food, you have a bathroom there, there's bars on the window. <laughs> You're not coming out. No, I have, to, I have a flight. I got a flight. Tomorrow it's the wedding. The wedding on our dead body. Your wedding. What kind of friends we are? We let you destroy your eternity? We don't care. You can hate us. We're not letting you out. He's banging the door, crying, screaming. 
Nothing helped him. Three days later, they opened the door. He was ready to kill them. He called up Christine. Christine, I'm so sorry. You dirty Jew. She started to curse the Jews. Hitler should have finished the job. They told me to be careful. What have I done with you? He realized what he got saved from. Then he started to hug them and kiss them. The question is like this. A guy like this, it count like he married Christine or no? When you want to do a mitzvah and somebody holds you, lock you in a room, count like you did. When you go to murder and you missed, or you wanted to marry Christine and you missed, and count you did or no? Common sense, what do you think? You went to murder someone, you shot 500 bullets, none of it hit him. You're a blind shooter. Shoot, 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 the guy somehow made it. Count you killed him or no? Bad intention is a part of a sin. Now we're talking not only bad intention, intention who led into actions, to bad actions. Only bad intention, it's half a sin. When it leads to actual action, if I want to kill someone, so bad. It's a bad, it's a sin in my mind, but I never dare to do it. Once I did it, it's a much bigger sin. But here, does it count like he did the sin or not? The answer is, bad thoughts, bad plan, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God does not translate into action. It doesn't hold it against you. How many times? You went first time, you shot, you didn't hit. A week later, you went again, you shot, you did not hit. For the first time, we already know Hashem dismissed it, because you didn't really do the action. Second time, also it doesn't count, or second time is already count, what do you think? Huh? <coughs> count? Also not count? So when is going to be count? When you feel I actually kill him? The answer is second time count, and also for the first time, double. So the only time it doesn't count is the first time you get the benefits of the doubt. What is it like? A person who is violating Shabbat and they caught him. They bring him to court. According to the Torah, he must be executed by stoning and has no share to the world to come. That's a verse in the Torah. But the rabbis give him a warning and they let him go. Why they don't kill him? Because it's first offense. He was never ever found doing that sin. This is the first time they saw him smoking on Shabbat. But if he already got a warning, and that's a repeat of the same violation, no more warnings. Same thing here. You had bad intention to make that sin. You did not do it. Hashem let it go. You're going to do it again. This time you pay for the second and the first time. We have Mamash. Last minute, so let's just finish this. Every person, the Gemara say, has to look at himself half guilty, half innocent. Half righteous, half wicked. 50-50. 50% sin, 50% mitzvot. Why? So your scale is balanced. 100%. The next thing you're going to do, if it's going to be a good thing, a mitzvah, then you put another mitzvah on a scale, you turn the entire scale to the righteous position. 
if it's going to be a sin, any sin, even a minor sin, you put it on the negative side, the sin is going to win, it's going down. You become wicked. Righteous? Wicked. Depend what you're going to do next. Now what happened, I know right now I'm listening to the Gemara. I'm thinking in my mind, I am now exactly 50-50. Let me do a mitzvah. I take $5, I put in this box. What I became now? Based on this. Became righteous, no? Now, I want to do now another thing. When I want to do another thing, mitzvah or a sin, what am I right now? 50-50. What do you mean? I just put $5, made sure I'm not 50-50 anymore. Now I can make a little sin, no? I, want, I just did a big mitzvah, tzedakah. I want to smack somebody now. So it's going to be still 51-49, no? No. No matter how many times you do it, Zaka, once you finish, now you have to look at yourself 50-50. That's the rule. You understand? Why? The Gemara says, One sin can make you lose a lot. Literally what it means depends on a sin. A person went with Christine. It's a very big sin. He made thousands of small mitzvot. Come one big sin and almost wave everything. You have to know the rule. The sin does not erase the mitzvot. The mitzvot, whatever you did, you get rewarded for. No matter what sin you did after, the reward is existing, unless if you regret that you did the mitzvot in your mouth. If you say, I wish I wouldn't have done it, then you lose it. But other than that, no matter what sin you did, even you murdered, every mitzvah you did until now, Hashem owes you. But, literally, if you put it on a scale, a thousand small mitzvot, and one big sin, sometimes the sin is so bad, it can be much worse than the thousand together, or the other way around. You can do a one huge mitzvah, and you have a thousand little sin, the mitzvah is so much heavier than the thousand sins together. You made one Jew religious, that could be like a trillion sins of yourself. Why? Because this Jew in the next 40 years, him, his wife, his children and grandchildren, will make for you 10 trillion mitzvot. So trillion averot that you made, sins that you made in your lifetime, is nothing compared to the 10 million mitzvot that this guy alone brought to your account. But it doesn't matter. You have to look at yourself 50-50 as an individual. So the literal explanation here, means one sin can make you lose a lot. But the secret here is, that the next sin, even though it's one, can make you lose everything. You lose your entire status. Up to now you were righteous. That extra little tiny sin turned you into wicked. So now, actually you lost a lot more than the one. You lost another 50% of mitzvot. Because now, yeah, you still have the mitzvot. Hashem will reward you. But if they ask in heaven, who are you, two minutes ago, the answer of God would say righteous, because he has more mitzvot than sin. Because of that little sin, Hashem would answer wicked. I don't have to tell you more. You understand the point? So the Gemara say, this is very important to remember this. Very important. The Gemara says like this. Rabbi Elazar Rabbi Shimon says, everything in the Torah goes by the majority. Kosher and non-kosher get mixed. If there's more kosher, it's, their entire mix is kosher. More not kosher, it's not kosher. More in a place 
more goyim than Jews, the place considered a goyish town. More Jews than goyim, it's a Jewish town. On a boat, 101 people, more than 50 are Jews, it's considered a Jewish boat. More than 50 are goyim, why, why we care if it's goyim or not? Because now we want to know if the captain turned the lights on on Shabbat. The Jews allowed to enjoy from it or not? If the majority is non-Jews, then we say that the captain did it for the goyim, and if he didn't do it for the Jews, the Jews can enjoy. But if the majority is Jewish, it counts like the entire place is Jewish. If the captain turned the lights on, he did it for the Jews. Why? Most of them are Jews. And that's how it goes in everything in life. Everything, remember, majority. Arguments between the rabbis, five against two, the five wins. Even though here it's not so correct, because we always go by the quality of the rabbis, not the quantity. But one rabbi that is rated 90, and five rabbis that rated 50, the one that rated 90 is more than all of them. Why? Because he's a much higher position. This is how it goes. That's called quant a, a, a majority. But here the Gemara says, the world is always going after the majority. And a person also after his majority. If he has more mitzvot than sin, he studies his righteous. More sin than, 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 uh, than mitzvot is considered wicked. Once he made one mitzvah, he turned himself and the entire world to a, to a positive position. Because the world is also considered 50-50. We don't know the situation. And the sin that he just made destroyed himself and the entire world. That's how sincere a person has to be before we make a sin. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, if he was complete righteous all his life, this is the one who wrote the Zohar, the Kabbalah, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, even if he was righteous all his life, and in the last days of his life, he rebelled against Hashem. Ah, what, I was religious, why did I need all this? I wish I would be a goy on the beach all day. Why do I need all this? I made a mistake, I wish I can go back. You know, this nonsense. He lost everything that he did up to now. What a fool. Sheneemar, why do we know it? Ezekiel 33, that's the verse. Tzadik, the righteousness of the righteous person, will not save him in the day of his crime. When he went to become a criminal against Hashem, he comes to Hashem and says, well, Hashem, why? 80 years I kept mitzvot. The last month of my life I stopped keeping Shabbat. I stopped doing what I did, I didn't learn anymore, and I started eating pork. For that, you're sending me to such horrible destiny now? What about the 80 years? The last man show who you really are. If you had the foolishness, the nerve, to kick the entire Torah to the garbage and become a goy in the end of your life, what happened? You just lost everything. We're talking someone who regrets. Not someone by mistake ate pork. That's an individual sin. Someone who say, ah, the heck with all this. I wish I would have not done it. Lost everything. He was complete wicked guy all his life. And made tshuva in the last days of his life, close to his end. Don't remind him his wickedness. Why he died righteous. Made tshuva. However, I want to add a comment here, and we finished. What is it? Yes, 
he can make tshuva the last month of his life. He start keeping Shabbat, start eating kosher, start coming to yeshiva, everything fine. No, so that's a great solution, but there's few problems. First, we don't know when the end of our life will be. We can be very surprised. Just this week alone, five people in Israel, from the youngest to the oldest, their heart stopped to work in a second, out of nowhere, without warning, no cholesterol, nothing. One of them, 23 years old guy, that was on his way to his son, Bris. In Israel, they make the Bris in the afternoon in a big hall, not like here in the shul in the morning. It's a big ceremony in the afternoon that people can come from work. The breeze was for four o'clock. Few hours before the breeze, his heart stopped to work and the father died. An hour after they buried the father, they went to the house of the grandfather in Ashdod. I can show you the picture, I have them here. And maybe 500 people were crying in the middle of the breeze, circumcising the baby. The name of the father was Ophir. They called the baby David Ophir. Why not Ophir only? Because you don't name a baby after someone who died young in a tragedy. So you have to make a change in the name. You can do similar name. Similar name. But it has to be some difference. Because if you aim on someone who died young, I know of a father who had a baby right after the Entebbe operation. When the Israeli went to Uganda, to release the kidnap, the kidnap the prisoners, you know, Idi Amin and the Palestinian terrorists. So the Israelis went to Uganda and released all of them. The one who was in charge of the operation was the brother of the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. He had a brother, his name was Yoni Netanyahu, a very, very hero warrior. And he, he I think he is the only one who died there, him or another person were very minor casualty for such a big operation. And he was the hero of Israel. Many of the babies who were born, people named their babies after him, Yoni. And one father that named his son Yoni, his son died exactly in the same age like his brother. When he got to his age, or maybe in the young years, I'm not sure, but he died young. Why, when you name after uh, your grandfather who died age 30, very high risk to your kid to die in the same age, or even younger. So you gotta make a difference. So they added the name, the David Ophir. So it's not only Ophir. But, in, but five people this week alone, in the middle. One is sitting in the office, up, dead. One in bed, one in the middle to the, you know, way to the bridge. The heart stopped, and people are dying. Young, 50, 23. A kid, you don't know what's going to be. And even if you make tshuva in the last day of your life, okay, Hashem consider you righteous, but you don't have any credit. He, he has nothing to pay you. Nothing. What is he going to pay you for? You never kept Shabbat. All your life you didn't eat kosher. You didn't make bracha. You didn't do anything. Your friend has trillions of mitzvot that waiting for him. You have nothing. You got saved from the punishment, but you still don't have any reward. We'll see you, Bezrat Hashem, on next Wednesday. On Monday, I'm in uh, 73rd, corner of 172nd Street. Thank you very much.